Hi, everyone. Uh, Kevin here. Before I get into this episode, it occurred to me that when I recorded it, I spent uh, a lot of time talking about public space and the importance of public space. I thought I would share a clip from uh, really one of the masters who talks about it so well, and that is former uh, longtime mayor of Charleston, South Carolina, Joe Riley. Uh, He had an amazing way always to talk about the relationship of public space to uh, people who live in the city. And here's a little clip. What makes up a livable city is a, a place where the resident, the occupant, feels in charge. That is, that it's for them. So for a child uh, in a neighborhood that's child-friendly, for, uh, for citizens, uh, a place that has a, that is physically beautiful and handsome and nourishing and inspirational, a, a place where there is substantial amounts of public realm, that is, things that you own and celebrate together, which can be a healthy downtown in a big city or a, or a restored and lively main street in a little town. That's public realm. You own it. Obviously, the parks and playgrounds and squares and, and public buildings. Uh, you know, a, a livable city is a place where the, the citizen has been uh, thought of in the planning, design, and the development of the city. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to the Messy City Podcast. This is Kevin Klinkenberg. Delighted to have you back here with me. I'm going to do something a little bit different today uh, that uh, uh, relates more to what I do on a, uh, on a day-to-day basis for my, uh, for my uh, full-time job. Uh, believe it or not, the podcast is really just a hobby, uh, a very enjoyable hobby, but uh, um, I do have a, a full-time job and uh, I want to talk about that a little bit uh, here today because I think it has, well, first of all, I don't really talk about it much uh, and, and I probably should talk about it more, but I, I think there are some really great lessons uh, that can be learned for uh, people working uh, in communities uh, of all sizes Uh, uh related to what we are doing and the things that we're learning uh, in our organization. Um, Before I do that, I do want to uh, make a request uh, for those of you who listen. I really appreciate everybody who's listening. Uh, It's nice to see uh, the numbers keep increasing uh, every week, and uh, that's really fantastic. Uh, What I would ask uh, you to do, if you have uh, a free minute, is to... um, in addition to uh, liking or following the podcast on your favorite platform, whether that's Apple or Spotify or, or whatever, um, to please take a minute and uh, give the podcast a, a rating and a review. Uh, not only does that uh, certainly boost the podcast in terms of its visibility uh, generally on those platforms, but it also helps give me some feedback uh, that that I can use and take forward uh, things that were things that I do well and things that I, maybe I can improve. Just uh, let me know, and uh, always uh, always happy to hear feedback. I I get feedback from a number of you, which is always great to see. Uh, if I don't respond immediately, I'm uh, I apologize. I do try to get to every comment or email. Uh, in time, I just uh, am not always able to get to it right away, and uh, but I do uh, do my best to respond to everybody who sends me a note, and really appreciate those. 
So thanks for that. And uh, let's get on with today's uh, episode. So um, for those of you who, who don't know me that well, uh, while my background is uh, originally in architecture and urban design, uh, I, like a lot of my guests that I've had on this show, my career has taken a lot of kind of twists and turns. Uh, had my own architecture and planning firm for about a decade in, in the 2000s, which uh, I really enjoyed. Uh, after the recession really just took a hammer to that business uh, in 2008 to 2010, I kind of shifted gears and uh, have ended up now uh, being very fortunate to run an organization here in Kansas City called Midtown KC Now. Midtown KC Now is what, uh, uh, in the lingo, we call a place management organization. Uh, the trade organization for our, or the trade group for a lot of organizations like this is actually the International Downtown Association. And in fact, uh, that uh, group has an annual conference that's coming up here uh, in just a couple of weeks in Chicago, uh, the first week of October. Uh, they get together every year, and it's uh, it's groups that uh, are very involved with uh, downtown associations. We are not a downtown association; we're kind of what you might call downtown adjacent, the midtown area here in Kansas City. There's a number of groups like ours. There are a lot of these groups that manage. Uh, self-taxing districts uh, in cities of all sizes around the country. And uh, in our state, in Missouri, those are called community improvement districts or CIDs. In other states, they're uh, called business improvement districts. That's a very uh, common uh, lingo or BID. Sometimes they're called neighborhood improvement districts. We also have those in Missouri as well. They're just not very common. Uh, CIDs are generally the more common approach. And and uh, <clears throat> CIDs are, are uh, funded by people who agree to raise their own taxes uh, to fund specific sp- services. So that might be a special assessment like a property tax, or it might be a, a sales tax. Uh, and, and sometimes it's both. Um, at Midtown Casey Now, we actually manage two CIDs, uh, one on Main Street in Kansas City and another one that kind of straddles Broadway, uh, Broadway and 39th street. It's, it's a very funny, uh, shape if you look at it on a map. Uh, but we manage two of those currently <clears throat> and, uh, maybe actually adding a one or two more here in the next year. Uh, we're, we're looking at one, one potential new one that, uh, if it gets authorized later this year, then we'll start operations in 2024. Uh, and the, the gist of those, uh, CIDs, you know, the, in, in our case, um, they are primarily what we call a clean and safe program. And so you've probably seen these either in your city or in cities around the country, uh, where you often have, uh, people who wear a, a uniform of some kind, probably generally like a colored, uh, shirt of some kind. And they, provide uh, cleaning and maintenance services like picking up trash and cleaning uh, low-level graffiti and stuff like that in a given area, Uh, providing security services, uh, maybe being ambassadors for the area. So our CIDs uh, do all of that. We we primarily run a clean and safe program uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week in in our areas. Uh, And uh, that is a very big part of what we do. That was not what we were formed originally to do. The organization was formed 42 years ago to really be an advocacy and sort of community and economic development organization for um, for the Midtown area of Kansas City. 
Uh, it was formed in what I call the battle days uh, of, you know, 40 some years ago when, when things had uh, gotten really bad in this part of the city, like many, many cities around the country. Um, the middle class had largely left this part of the city uh, and gone to the suburbs. Um, we had a lot of crime, a lot of very um, really bad situations with, you know, open prostitution and drug dealing on the streets, um, businesses leaving town, residents leaving. It was, it was an ugly situation. And the people who remained, who really cared about the area deeply, formed uh, an organization and, uh, to help say, let's, let's turn this tide and let's, let's figure out what needs to be done to stop the bleeding and get things going in the right direction and come together. And so it was a, it was a unique kind of coalition of uh, business owners, uh, residents, uh, just people who were passionate about the area. And they formed that organization in 1981, uh, in October of 1981. So coming right up on our 42nd anniversary very soon. And it was actually called Main Street Corridor Development Corporation. Uh, and uh, for many, many years was actually known uh, locally as Main Core. And uh, we rebranded uh, about five years ago into Midtown KC Now. Um, because we actually work in a in a much bigger area now than than we originally did, our scope has increased and and continues to increase as as uh, um, uh, fortunately uh, uh, we find a lot of people who think we do a good job at what we do and and they and they want us to expand our services to include uh, their area. So we do what we can and try to take on what we can. But uh, th- I will say uh, <clears throat> while. The CIDs uh, were not originally part of what we did because the organization, obviously, when it was formed in 1981 in Missouri, the there was no legislative authority for CIDs at that time. That didn't come until much later. The Main Street CID that we managed started in 2007, so uh, only about uh, 16 years ago. And then we formed the Broadway Area CID in 2017, so that's been going about six years so that that is newer in the whole scope of what we do, but it has become a very, very big part of how we um, help the community, how we assist uh, business owners in, in managing the, this clean and safe program. So people locally who know us, many of them know us by uh, these CIDs and they, they see you know, the red shirt employees that we have on Main Street and the blue shirts that we have on Broadway and 39th Streets. And they identify us as managing those. But um, while that's a big part of it, it's not all that we do. And I want to spend some time talking about the other things that we do uh, here today. The CIDs uh, are a very, actually a very interesting topic. I had never managed a CID before taking this job about four years ago. I've learned a ton uh, on the job. I have great people that work with me and uh uh, have worked on in this for a while. We have some really great staff people who work very hard uh, every day uh, of the week, all year long, uh, in hot weather and freezing weather. And uh, it, it's been uh, a fascinating experience uh, learning about all this and and constantly changing. As you might imagine, the last two or three years have been a particular challenge uh, for those of us who work in public space management. So. Uh, that, that's a whole topic in and of itself. And maybe one day I'll get a guest on here that also has experience in that world and we can kind of talk shop. It's, uh, it's, it's really a unique deal. 
but there, there's this other leg of what we do with Midtown Casey now that, um, that I think, uh, in my, um, in my time here, uh, I've, I've helped, uh, in, in my own mind, kind of, uh, get my arms around what, what it is, how can we be most effective and most helpful in our small corner of the world? And, uh, I want to share this because I think wherever you are, uh, if you, uh, just care about a neighborhood, a small part of your city, whatever, I think there's incredible lessons that I've learned that I think other people uh, can learn about, um, how groups like ours can be most effective to help our communities. Not to say that this, I'm going to go over three, three areas that I think, um, are, uh, in particular ways that we can place management organizations can really make a difference. It's not to say that's everything, uh, but I think it's it's three categories that uh, that really are uh, well tailored to what we do. Uh, a lot of what we do is working in this seam kind of between uh, residents, businesses, developers, and city government. And that's a interesting seam to be in because you really get to know just about everybody who uh, is doing something or impacting your place. Uh, and, um, you get to, you get to know all the individuals, uh, you get to know the good, the bad, and the ugly of what's going on. And you get to learn, uh, about how you can apply leverage to try to make improvements, uh, to your place. And there are a lot of gaps that, uh, that are ready to be filled. Uh, so one approach is you can kind of bemoan the things that are not being done, in your place. And the other way, the other approach is you can try to find the gaps uh, and identify those things that aren't being done and try to fill them uh, and be, be somebody who pro is solving problems and providing assistance to people. And that's really what we try to do. Uh, I, I like to think we do it pretty successfully. Uh, and um, I think we're getting better at it all the time. Uh, but there's also a lot to learn and it's a constantly changing environment. Um, but this notion of sort of smaller scale place management, uh, I think is fascinating. Uh, I will tell you, I have a bias that I think this is the future, uh, of, uh, city management. Uh, I, you know, without getting too much into the weeds here right now, I think most of our city governments are way too big, uh, and way too, uh, centralized. And, and by that, I mean, they have departments, that, um, where, where all the activity is centralized in one location and in a city hall, uh, and, uh, and maybe it's not just physically one location, but it's essentially one, uh, vertical organization. Uh, and they are tailored well to doing really big things, uh, that, uh, that impact the city at large, but they are not well set up to impact, uh, make a positive impact at the neighborhood level. It's just the nature of how organizations grow and uh, become, you know, larger and larger. Uh, and if those, uh, if you're vertically uh, oriented like that, you're just going to miss a lot. Uh, you're going to miss a lot at the grassroots level uh, and on the streets. And uh, so there are organizations like ours that have stepped in to help fill those gaps. And, um, my sense of things after 
after doing this for a while is that organizations like ours are absolutely essential to uh, making sure that um, there is a focus uh, from city government on the things that that need to happen um, uh, at, even at the very very small scale uh, and we are really helpful with connecting residents and businesses to uh, services uh, at the bigger scale. So uh, I, I think what I've seen here in Kansas City is organizations like ours taking on more and more responsibilities uh, and having a greater uh, impact in a positive way. And it's easy for me to look at this and say that this is uh, the this is kind of the future, I think, of how a lot of uh, communities can think about managing uh, managing themselves in, in some way, shape, or form. There's there's tremendous. Uh, there's a lot that's interesting about um, managing things at a very local level. So uh, that's a very long winded <laughs> introduction. Uh, I hope I hope that makes some sense. But uh, I do want to talk about. Uh, what I have learned are these these three areas where we do we spend an awful lot of our time and resources that I think uh, other organizations can also do and and be helpful. So beyond the CIDs, we do a lot of work in what I would call grassroots assistance. So this is everything from uh, just community engagement, uh, hosting lunches, uh, regular coffee meetings regular presentations to uh, organizing community building events and uh, importantly, helping small businesses and residents with their priorities. So uh, in a large city like ours, Kansas City, Missouri is a half a million people. It can be daunting for a lot, especially small businesses and entrepreneurs to understand who to talk to. Uh, and for neighborhood residents, you know, they, it, even people who get, uh, involved in things have a hard time understanding who to connect to, uh, with the city or anybody else to get something done that they want to have done. So we do, a, we spend a, a lot of time really trying to help connect people to resources. Um, the city itself obviously has a lot of resources and they, they also provide information uh, about these things. But we find that a lot of people um, don't want to contact somebody at the city. Maybe they have a reluctance, maybe, or maybe they do contact somebody at the city and they don't hear back uh, in a prompt manner. But they know us. We're right down the street. We have a prominent sign on our building. We send them a weekly newsletter that, you know, that tells everybody what's going on in our part of town. And, and so we're more approachable in that, in that sense that people can understand, you know, how uh, how can I resolve this issue? Well, uh, you know, if you don't know, we we might know somebody uh, to talk to. So we we spend a, a lot of time really helping people try to navigate what um, what can and can't be done uh, in terms of their own businesses. Uh, we also do some small programs uh, to try to help uh, properties and and make improvements. So in our CIDs, we carve out a, a, a very modest amount of money each year to help uh, with facade improvement grants. So it's a matching grant program that um, property owners can use or business owners can use to make exterior improvements to their properties. Uh, this might in, might be, you know, 
some new storefront windows, a new sign, some new lighting. It might be a new uh, mural on the side of the building, but anything that'll improve uh, at a small scale, the area, these are things that, you know, somebody might spend a thousand dollars, $2,500, $5,000 on. So it's really hard for people at, uh, at a larger city government to manage uh, a program like this, that's at a small scale in one part of town, but we know how to do it. And we know the people it's easy for us to manage. Uh, and it's something that we like to do. It's a small thing that we can do to help uh, improve our part of town. So there's a lot of things like that, uh, that we assist our, our, um, constituents with. Uh, and then we, occasionally we get involved in policy things that can help as well. So a couple of years ago, we were uh, instrumental in helping, uh, re-legalize accessory dwelling units in Kansas city, uh, or, uh, what I just like to call granny flats, uh, because I think it's a better, better colloquial term, uh, but uh, we we partnered with other organizations uh, to assist uh, in that effort and really help uh, help something that we think is a big improvement for our neighborhoods because m- most of our neighborhoods already have historic existing granny flats uh, and uh, this this allowed uh, this kind of helped cut through the red tape so that people can uh, legally rent those and anybody wanting to build a new one can do so as well so. On, the, on that side of things, that is one big area, I think, that, that is often a challenge for larger cities to do, which is to assist people at the grassroots level. And organizations like ours uh, are really well suited to do something like that. A second area uh, is actually everything to do with public space. Now, there are some cities uh, around that are really, really good at managing public space uh, and improving it. Uh, my experience is most, most cities, especially of a larger size, are not. Uh, they, when, when they have the opportunity to do a large improvement project, uh, they're good at that. Uh, so let's say there is a corridor that somebody's done a plan for, and there's a uh, $50 million uh, improvement project uh, slated for it. Cities, a lot of larger city governments are really well suited to do that type of effort. You know, uh, uh, we're going to do a major uh, construction project and and refresh of a whole corridor, and they're going to go find grant money to do it. Maybe they'll get federal money. Um, maybe they'll maybe it's part of a bond issue. And and a lot of cities are really well suited uh, to do that, but they're not well suited to do things at more of a micro scale. Uh, and, you know, we work, <clears throat> obviously we work in an urban community, uh, in Midtown Kansas city. So one of the things that I, that I like to, always like to remind people of and talk about is that, you know, there's really very, two very different modes of living in American cities. Uh, and, and we've talked about this in the new urbanism for, you know, going on like 40 years now, but there's really, there's the urban mode of living and there's the suburban mode of living. And they're very different, uh, in, in our country we have largely built the suburban mode of living for the last 70 years or so. That has been our primary focus uh, of new development um, really since, well, really since the 1920s, but uh, most of it didn't kick in until after World War II. And in that mode, um, you know, it's often talked about by planners that it's organized around driving and it's organized around cars, which is true. But I would say it's really mostly organized around private space. 
and the the notion is in a suburban community, you spend most of your time in private space. So, uh, you know, if you have a house, you're more likely uh, to spend time in the backyard than the front yard. Uh, if you, again, if you own a house, you're more likely to have a lot of amenities inside the house, you know, nicer living rooms and spaces and other things. Um, and, uh, you know, than you would in, in an urban area. And so, you know, in, in our country, we've gotten really, really good about making, uh, the suburban development pattern with excellent private space. Uh, but it's the public space that's often lacking. And that's what, you know, a lot of planners talk about. That's what we comment on those of us who call ourselves quote unquote urbanists. That's what we critique a lot is that the public space in suburban areas is kind of a, kind of a throwaway, uh, that, uh, you're, it's mostly made to drive through, uh, as quickly as possible to get to your destination in a private space. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's a very different setup than, uh, what we call, uh, ur- urbanism or for urban communities. In an urban community, your primary amenity is public space. Uh, and that's probably the reason you choose to live in an urban community because you can walk outside your door and walk around in interesting public space, uh, socialize there, run into other people, enjoy the space, enjoy the architecture, and you spend more of your time in the public domain than necessarily the private side. So what that means then is for an urban community to be successful, the public space has to be really uh, attractive and, and well-maintained. And unfortunately, a lot of our cities are just, uh, we fail in that, in that area. And, uh, it's not for lack of trying, it's not for lack of funding it, but it's often for lack of focus at the scale, at the small scale that's needed to really make it work. So, uh, place management organizations like ours, are ideal for working at a small scale because we are just focused on one little corner of our city. Uh, and, uh, we know the ins and outs of it better than somebody who has a job that has to look at the entire city. Uh, that's just the nature of, of how these organizations are set up. And so, uh, in our, uh, efforts, what we are really trying to do is find ways to Uh, improve public space at at a very micro scale all over um, our part of town. And so oftentimes that's as simple as adding um, planter boxes with flowers. Uh, We've spent some money the last few years getting these really cool self-watering planters uh, that help us maintain a much more attractive uh, just walking environment. Um, because you only have to water these planters like once a week or once every other week. They're really, they're really kind of cool uh, and not terribly expensive. But there's also more traditional methods where we do sort of minor uh, streetscape improvement projects. Uh, we help try to execute some traffic calming projects and then add beautification in along the way. And all of it is really geared towards what are we doing that makes walking around our part of city, our part of the city more enjoyable? Because if we enhance the walking environment, that's what will give us success over the long term. That's what's going to make ultimately our businesses more successful. 
It's going to make our residential areas more desirable. If it's easy to get out and walk, if it's not just easy, but if it's attractive, if it's interesting. And I think as a, as any of us who have been fortunate enough to travel to other parts of the world know, this is what attracts us to places. Uh, you know, if you think of a typical, like a European city, maybe a South American or Central American city, maybe an Asian city that you've been to that you just really enjoyed getting out and walking around uh, or just lingering in a lot, it's because it was a beautiful space. It's because uh, it was interesting. There were people out and about. And there were, there's a lot to just look at. It's, it's just an incredibly human experience to see other humans, to see beauty in the environment and want to continue to experience that. Now, I also think you can certainly get, I'm not saying you can't get that beauty from nature as well. You can, you can be out in, in natural areas and get that beauty and want to, you know, keep going back and back time and time again to wonderful natural areas. But most of us live in cities. And uh, if you live in a city and you want that to be a really great human experience, we've got to make sure that they are beautiful. And one thing that I continue to harp on in just about every presentation I, that I get, that human pleasure is not a frill. It's, it is essential to the enjoyment of life in cities. That what we do is not just about filling out a form and checking boxes. You know, yes, it has, we have uh, 50 units per acre, and yes, we have um, stores that have doors that open to the street. And uh, yes, we have one street tree per every 30 feet. You know, that's not it. That's not what gets it. You've got, we've got to have um, people out there who have a, a, an ability to see and touch and improve the environment and make it beautiful and interesting. So part of that beauty is the architecture, but part of it is adding uh, street trees, landscaping, flowers, uh, other essential items that make walking around uh, something that's not a chore, but something that you actually enjoy doing. Uh, so that that's a big part of what we've been trying to focus on is to make those improvements. And importantly with that, to make sure that whenever we have a landscaping area that we're enhancing, that we actually can maintain it, that we, that we know who is going to maintain it. Uh, because uh, again, unfortunately, one of the things that, that that I see a lot in cities is we're really, really good at building things and we're lousy at maintaining them because maintenance is not sexy. Uh, it's not interesting. Uh, and, and yet it's essential. Uh, nothing, nothing good happens over time without really good maintenance and good management. And so we're trying really hard to improve what we're always doing to make sure that we have procedures in place and we have people that can do the maintenance uh, that needs to be done for the spaces that we have a responsibility for. Um, at the same time, I think, it, I, you know, I've talked about this before, but I think it's important to dream. Uh, it's important to dream uh, a little bit too. We, you know, I think making these small scale changes are incredibly important. And we have dozens and dozens that we could do that could keep us busy for the next 20 years. Uh, but, you know, we also, as humans, we need to kind of dream big sometimes about bigger changes that, that can be made to really enhance public space and, and make it special. So uh, our organization does occasionally, uh, we engage like college students who are interns and, and other volunteers who can draw really well, and we can take uh, a scenario and have it reimagined. 
Uh, so there are a few locations we've done that for in Midtown where, where we have somebody who spends a little time and they do some nice three-dimensional drawings uh, in SketchUp or whatever software you can uh, that basically shows here's this existing public space that we have. Here's what it could be. And that, that space that could be, that might end up being, yeah, that might be an expensive project um, that needs that needs to be taken on. Uh, we have one that we're looking at here that uh, we think would transform a really crazy uh, intersection in our part of town where there's a lot of uh, crashes. Uh, it's hard to navigate. It's unattractive. And we did a, we did a series of sketches to show how you could change this in, in a way that I think is really compelling. That's probably a $10 million project for that to happen. Uh, so, and, and I think that's okay. I think it's okay to dream big on some of those things. And that also then gives us the opportunity to go to our partners in city government who are better at executing a large project like that. And then if it's something that people agree about, then we can start getting that in the pipeline that it's something that might happen two, three, four, five years down the road. So again, if we are focused on just this one part of town, so the things that we look at really are, are about dreaming big uh, for some of those spaces. But it's essential to, to think that way uh, about public space, uh, not, you know, not just because um, it gives us something to dream about, but, you know, our predecessors did that as well. We've inherited uh, a lot of public space that people dreamt about literally 150 years ago uh, and made changes to. And then um, 70 years ago, big efforts came through and changed a lot of it uh, in ways that people then wanted to make. And so it's, it's good for us to, to look at ways that we can make, make those changes uh, ourselves for now and for future residents uh, of our part of town. So public space is a huge aspect uh, of what we do. And I think it's, again, I think it's one of those great gaps that the right organizations can fit into take ownership of and, and really uh, improve the lives of everybody in, in uh, your community, your neighborhood, whatever that is. The last area that we spend a lot of time uh, focusing on is development. So if you've listened to many podcast episodes, you can tell that I have a, a very big interest in development. And, uh, you know, my background has always has been in architecture. I've been a a sort of a, a junkie about development, uh, more from, from the standpoint of being a consultant for many years. And uh, I am an unabashed fan of the, of the fact that our city needs to develop and our part of town needs to continue to develop. Uh, and there are uh, a lot of narratives out in the world about development that I think are incredibly unfortunate. Uh, and a lot of ways that people talk about developers that are very unfortunate. Uh, and, and I think just completely wrong and, and, and uh, misgiven. Uh, and that's not to say that all development and all developers are fantastic. They're not. They're human beings like everybody else. There are wonderful developers. There are developers who are uh, really lousy at what they do. There are some that are jerks. Uh, there are people who do really great projects and people who do lousy projects. Um, but uh, increasingly what has concerned me is there's just been a lot of narratives about the development of our city that are, that are, uh, are just so deeply uh, wrong and will hurt our city that I feel the need to, to, to just try to give context for what's going on. So uh, in, in our city, I would say that here's the in critical context in, 
in the urban core of Kansas City, Missouri. And I, I mentioned this, this, this is the city that I know the best, obviously, but this story can be written about so many cities all over America. Our peak population year was 1950, that, the 1950 census. Uh, and in the urban core at that time, we had uh, nearly half a million people. Today, we have about 250,000 in, in that same area. Um, there have been endless articles and, and headlines the last you know, 10 or 20 years about uh, redevelopment in the city and all of the good, uh, all the people moving back to the city and new apartments and everything else, which is true. And it's fantastic. We've had a really good last 10 or 15 years. But that last 10 or 15 years has barely moved the needle on the overall population uh, of the urban core. In our part of the city in Midtown, it hasn't really moved the needle at all. Uh, and in fact, when we drill down in, into the neighborhoods that we work in in our part of, uh, our part of the city, we have uh, one third of the population that we had in 1950. In 1950, the neighborhoods that we work in had 73,000 people and now they have 28,000. So um, that's the context. And what I like to point out to people is we get routine questions from folks about, you know, we'd like to, we want to have more grocery stores. We want to have more local businesses uh, that are interesting. We want to have better public transportation, you know, better service and you know, more frequent service. We'd like to have um, uh, better policing um, and, and response times. None of that will happen until we have more people living in our city so that we can rebuild the tax base. Because the other side of the equation is in 1950, all of our neighborhoods had above average median incomes for our region. So when you go back and compare what the incomes were in our part of town to the regional average at that time, uh, these were these were above average, not a lot above average, but slightly above average. So it's fair to say that these were all middle to upper middle class neighborhoods uh, in that era. Now we are well below the regional median income. We have a couple of neighborhoods that have crept up in recent years and they're starting to get incomes that are at or above uh, the regional medians. But as a collection of neighborhoods, there's, we are still far below the regional averages. And so you've got this combination of many fewer people than we used to have and lower incomes than we used to have. And uh, uh, when I get frustrated, I get frustrated when I see articles that basically refer to this as like the rich part of town, uh, which is crazy. Uh, we have lost all context when we think about that. The rich part of town in our community are the suburban areas that continue to grow and continue to attract the vast majority of all new development and the vast majority of people at middle and upper incomes. We have had a really nice uh, trickle of development the last um, few years that, is, <clears throat> that has helped stabilize our part of the city. And it's great to see. And there's a ton of interest. There's, there's a lot of interest, especially from young people, to move back into our part of the city. Um, but unfortunately, we seem to, uh, well, well, the way I would uh, uh, describe it is uh, out on the uh, perimeter of our metro area, uh, people are just, you know, going great guns left and right and building, building, building. 
uh, and uh, building new apartments, new homes, new shopping areas. And in our part of the city, we fight every project <clears throat> like it's like it's hand to hand combat. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, and that hand to hand combat is not good for any of us. Uh, it misses it misses the big picture of of what our priorities should be, and that if we want to have any of the things that we say we really want to have, we will not have them without extensive. Uh, population increase in our part of town. As such, I'm I'm an unabashed promoter of new development in in our city, uh, and and I think we need to add population wherever and whenever we can. Now, does that mean that I think all of the proposals that happen that people come with are good? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, like I said before, there are developers who engage in really great projects and some that do lousy projects. Uh, and uh, I think our job should be to try to work with people to make them as good as they possibly can be. But I also think the big picture is we've got to have many more people living in our part of town. Uh, we've got to rebuild, repopulate our city or else we'll never uh, have uh, have the good things that we want to have. Uh, we'll never uh, have the public space that we want to have without without more people, more uh, income, more people with a higher income who can uh, afford uh, to spend money on the things that uh, that we would all like to see uh, happen in our part of town. So, uh, lastly, I would just say. Um, there's uh, there, there's a couple of uh, people that uh, locally have done really great work in revitalizing institutions and organizations that that <clears throat> have impacted me and in others in positive thinking. And so this, you know, one of those uh, this may seem like a strange analogy, but uh, one of those is actually the Kansas City Symphony, and. Uh, uh, the Kansas City Symphony, uh, to be blunt, was pretty pretty bad for a long time. Uh, for a major symphony orchestra, it was not very well regarded. It really struggled financially. Uh, and uh, then we were fortunate to get uh, to hire uh, Michael Stern as the uh, director, as the, the conductor. And uh, he came on a little over 20 years ago, came to Kansas City. And, uh, obviously he's the son of a very famous, uh, violinist, Isaac Stern. Uh, and he really challenged people, uh, to not accept the symphony as it was. And one of the things that he said all the time around town, uh, was good enough is not good enough. And I don't know that Kansas Cityans were used to having somebody say that. Uh, there's a bit of a Midwestern mentality sometimes that we we will accept good enough. And, and I think actually a lot of times that's just fine in a, a lot of aspects of life. But uh, if you're looking for something of really high quality, uh, you're not going to accept good enough. And he he would not. And he, he really helped raise the bar for what um, the symphony is. And it's remarkable how much better it is today. Absolutely remarkable. They have they have a world class facility now too, uh, as well the Kaufman Center, which uh, which they perform in. 
but the symphony itself and the music and the productions they put on, all the various ways that they reach out into the community and do things and the creative ways that they engage people, it is in it is vastly different than it was 25 years ago and just so much better. And that's because we had somebody challenge uh, us to, you know, not accept good enough. And uh, I have long been a proponent that we need to do the same thing in the built environment. Uh, and I think we need to have an attitude, as you can tell by listening to me here today, that, our, you know, growth is really important. We need to grow. We need to develop. You know, if you're not growing, you're probably dying. Uh, and if your neighborhood is not growing, it's probably declining. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is just kind of the nature uh, of how cities are. You have to have either a growth mentality uh, or you're, you're going to eventually create decline. Uh, that's kind of an interesting aspect of the conversation I just had with Jason Segedy, which ran on here recently about the Rust Belt. And, you know, even in a challenging environment, trying to create a growth mentality. Uh, and it, that's important for us as humans. Uh, and uh, it's not to be Pollyanna uh, about it, but uh, it's it. you have to have a mindset that uh, prepares yourself for good things. So I still very much think you have to, we have to have a growth mentality in relation to our part of the city. But I also don't think we should just accept um, uh, mediocrity. And one of the things that I hope we can change in our city is to really hold each other more accountable to do good things, to do really good things. Uh, and on the development side, uh, uh, we need to do a better job of really pushing each other and holding each other accountable to deliver beautiful buildings and interesting public spaces uh, that make our city better. That, you know, is as important as population increase is to me. I don't think, I don't agree with the uh, hardcore YIMBY position that all new housing is good no matter what it is or how it looks. Uh, and uh, because we've had, we've done that before. We've seen that movie before uh, in the 1950s and sixties, when we had a housing crisis after world war II, we built a ton of housing very quickly in suburban areas and in urban renewal areas. And most of that housing um, was pretty awful. Uh, and most of the urban renewal stuff we did was horrendous. And a lot of it's been torn down since then because it was not well designed. It was not beautiful. It did not speak to us as human beings uh, in a way that the pre-war architecture did. So um, this is a tricky balance, but this is the area where I think most of the interesting uh, conversations about development can be is how do we continue to have a growth mentality for our city but also push for as much quality and great design uh, and great urban design as possible. And that's a small part of what we're trying to do uh, at Midtown KC now. It's, uh, it's something that I care deeply about. Uh, we're going to get it wrong a lot, um, but we're also going to get it right sometimes. And I, and I think uh, for, all, for a lot of cities in our uh, situation, whether you're uh, on an upward trend uh, or not, we've still got to find ways to hold each other accountable, however that may be, uh, uh, whatever social pressure we can apply 
to just do our absolute best. Uh, because right now in the development world, we're just not, we're not doing our absolute best. Uh, uh, as, uh, uh, and all you have to do really is, is look around at much of what, uh, what we do in new construction. There are some people who do great stuff, but there's a lot of it that's really not very good. That is just not going to hold up well over time. So that is part of the delicate balance. That wraps up what I want to talk about here today. That's a little bit of insight into what we do at Midtown Casey Now. I'd love to hear your stories and hear about what you're working on uh, in your communities. If you are someone who will be at the IDA conference in October, let's try to connect. Uh, and if you have questions or thoughts or anything about what we do or what organizations like ours could do, send me an email. Uh, my contact information is easy to find. You can find it on the Substack page, uh, the Messy City Substack page. Uh, and uh, otherwise, uh, I'm, I'm not a challenging person to find. There are not many Kevin Klinkenbergs uh, in the world. There are a few, actually, but there's, there's more than one, but there are not many. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. I'll be back uh, in the next episode uh, with uh, some more terrific guests. I've got some great guests lined up for this fall and uh, that I'm sure you're going to enjoy. Take care. So feel-